Hello and welcome to East to West WLS, the podcast where we support the bariatric community with humor, humility, and honesty. I'm April and I'm the West. And I'm Jason and I'm the East. Today, we are so excited to be welcoming a member of my local community here in Washington State, Mr. Andy Vargo. Hi, Andy. Well, hi. Thanks so much for having me on, you guys. I'm so excited about today. Dude, we are so excited to be talking about you. We've kind of got these four big areas that we are very excited to dive into. We know that you are passionate about people, helping people really kind of overcome these obstacles in their life and to find a solution that really works best for them and their personality, or as you like to say, kind of they're awkward. Uh, and we know that you're going to have some amazing insights uh, for people in, in this community. And uh, when you and I first uh, connected, when the three of us really kind of first started Started talking, we know that you are not yourself a bariatric patient, but the similarities and the crossovers between your, you know, personal and professional experiences are absolutely mirrored in what we go through, you know, within our own bariatric journey. So I think it's so important that we as bariatric patients know that there is help and resources that live outside our community that absolutely are necessary and needed for us to find success within our own journey. So we're just, we're so, so very excited to have the, to have the opportunity to talk to you today. It's going to be epic. <laughs> I can't wait. Yep. Me as well. So before we really dive into the conversation, I just want to quickly let our listeners uh, know that if, uh, you know, podcast is not maybe your favorite way of learning, we record this in Zoom and we also upload the video to our YouTube channel. And if you are currently watching us, you know that I'm adorable and these two gentlemen are extremely handsome. So you should probably pop over there if you would like. So it's really easy to find us there. Just go to, to YouTube and search East, the number two, West underscore WLS, and you'll find our channel with all of our past podcast episodes, virtual bariatric meetups, all kinds of great, uh, great kind of stuff there for you as well. So if you would like to watch us instead of listen, I highly recommend you pop over there and subscribe. That means you'll be the first to know when new stuff drops, and that happens frequently now at this point. So it's a busy little channel, <laughs> which I'm happy to say is the case. So... All right, Andy, I would love to just kind of give you the floor here a little bit and just um, if you will just kind of briefly introduce yourselves to our listeners. So if you feel comfortable sharing your age, where you live, uh, why you were called to help people in the way that you do currently, and really just what kind of what's your favorite part of your job? All right. Well, I'm Andy Vargo. I'm 45. Believe it or not, I just like <laughs> there's the time going. But uh so yeah, when I was 40, I just realized I wasn't happy with life. I was in a relationship that wasn't good for either of us. I was, I'd been married for 20 years and I had this moment where I realized that my whole life needed to change. And so over the next few months, I ended up coming out, decided I was gay. I mean, you know, that happens it and realized that I hadn't accepted myself my whole life up to that point. Mm -hmm. And so I did a lot of work to be okay with myself and to be okay. What I like to say is owning my awkward. I challenge everybody to own your awkward because I didn't do it for so long and I realized how much of a difference it's made in my life. And that's really my favorite part of my job is, you know, I grew up here in Tacoma. I love working in this. I love this community. Uh, it's my favorite part of the world. I've never found anywhere else that feels like home. And I love being able to help people in my own community just be okay with themselves and live their best life, not because they need to change everything about themselves, but because they can just accept who they are and realize that that's actually their superpower and be, be happy and successful because of it and not in spite of it. 
when when we were initially talking, it was the the similarities between you know our, our situation living as an obese person, your situation as li living with somebody that that wasn't or you know maybe not living your most authentic life was really interesting, right? We kind of had this aha moment about like, oh, you know, living with a secret and then, you know, how do we kind of like move forward in our lives once, we, once we've let that secret be known and then how people can disqualify our stories because we didn't do it the way that, that they thought that we should have done it. So those similarities and those crossovers are just going to be, it, I think it's, I know it's just going to be such a powerful conversation uh, because as bariatric patients, we kind of need to do those two things. We need to let our secret be known. And then we need to kind of fight back against the people who want to disqualify our story simply because we didn't lose the weight in the way that they thought that we should have, have lost it. You know, one of the things that Jason and I started East to West is because there was no support, you know, emotional, you know, this type of support that existed, existed for us after our surgery. And we were being disqualified left and right because, well, you know, weight loss surgery was the easy way out. Like, why didn't you just go to the gym more? And it's like, okay, this is just unbelievable. This is, this is what we have to deal with, you know, on an, on an everyday basis. So Jason and I were like, you know what, we, we have to, we have to end this. We have to work towards eliminating the stigma and just getting over this. Yes. Right. It's like, yeah, nah, we, we can't do that. So, so we're very excited to talk to you uh, really about those two aspects of your journey and our journey and just offer people some help and advice. Uh, and then we're also very excited to kind of dive into to the concept that's been coined as the arrival fallacy, right? So what do we do when we finally summit the mountain that we've always wanted to summit only to realize this wasn't what I thought it would be, or we see another mountain in the distance and we're like, oh, that was actually what we wanted. So we're very excited to, to kind of deep dive into that topic with you as well. And then this whole month at East to West, we're just focusing on a new year, a new you. So how do we really implement these lasting changes so that we can live the life that we've always wanted right, consistent, consistently? So we're excited to hear your ideas on what we can do when we run out of gas. Right. So when our motivational tanks are empty, we're just done. We want to give up. But, you know, in the back of our brains, we, we know we really don't want to. How can we fill our tanks again so that we we can find the motivation, the inspiration to continue to take action and make the decisions that will help us find lasting success? So lots of topics, but they're all going to be just absolute fire. So we're ready. I'm excited. Are you guys ready to dive in? Yes, I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, Andy, I would like to just kind of give you the floor a little bit more for you to introduce yourself at a deeper level to our listeners, to our watchers, and to our followers. So we always like to ask our guests kind of like, what makes you you? How did you end up as the person that you are today? You know, I that's a great question because it really <laughs> makes me think, how, how did I get to where I'm at, right? And I, mm -hmm. I feel like there's a mix of, of always evolving and learning and growing, but at the same time, not changing your soul and your heart and the core essence of you. It's like, how do you, how do you change and grow as a person without selling out essentially? And mm -hmm. for myself, when I, when I was standing in the dining room on a cold, rainy Northwest November day, it was a week before my birthday. And my now ex-wife had said to me, well, I don't know what to do for your birthday. It's your 40th, you know, you know, but basically I felt like she was just telling me she didn't know me. And I remember in that moment, I felt like I want someone who I've been with for 23 years to know what I would want to celebrate. Like I, I feel that just was such a, a telling moment. And 
I guess I feel like there are these aha moments in our life where we feel like that defines what next steps we need to take. And that was one where I really noticed, okay, this is, I'm holding back who I am. And, you know, that moment led to me coming out, getting divorced, uh, eventually changing out of the job market that I had been in, getting out of that industry and really pursuing being a motivational speaker, a life coach and an author, which are all things that I wanted to do from the time I was a little kid, but I didn't think I had a story worth telling and I didn't think there was really much to share. And so I couldn't see that being a life for me. And until I actually got real with myself and got authentic and was willing to open up to the whole world and just say, here's who I am. Here's things that have been in the back of my head. Here's how I've approached them. And actually, you know, do that through blogging and speaking. I realized there was value in that message. It does, you know, you don't have to know the value of your message. It will resonate with somebody. And so, so going through that journey has really defined how I bring myself to the world. But, you know, being raised in the Northwest with a strong family and having kids myself, uh, that's really kind of define my values leading up to that point. So now I take that core set of what I believe in, how I want to be in the world and have learned how to actually just kind of amplify the volume. Well, it's crazy how you put that because you, you know, at a, at a, at a younger age, you didn't feel like you had a story worth telling, but you inadvertently created a story worth telling later on to bring to the world. And that really kind of without you knowing kind of subconsciously shaped how you plan to live the you know the the second chapter of your of your life and that's that's amazing how that worked out for you in such a in, in such a positive way yeah that that's a good point because i really have been practicing uh you know visualizing materializing things more lately but i didn't do that earlier on in life but to your point i was doing it without knowing it because we do create that that world of what we want, whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. And the, the trick is to kind of get in the mindset that we're, we're keeping on the path to get there. Right. And, you know, when, when you said that, you know, you, you just kind of came to this point in your life where you realized I can't keep living this way, right? Like something mm-hmm. is so broken, something is so wrong that even all of the, everything that I've tried for, you know, for the first 40 years of my life, nothing has brought me to the point of true happiness. And, and I, you know, as weight loss surgery patients, as bariatric patients, we get there too, right? We, we, we all of a sudden, for me, I was looking in the mirror and I wasn't actually seeing myself. And you just get to the point where it's like, I have done everything. I have tried everything. I have done every diet, every fad, every pill, every shot, every, you know, you name it. And nothing has worked, right? Nothing has gotten me to the point where I feel like myself in, in my own skin. And y- that requires something drastic. It just does, right? Yeah, my, the, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say the, my dad years ago, because you know everybody knows that I had struggled with weight and my dad had heard a quote somewhere and that has just become his mantra and I'm, I'm gonna butcher it, but it basically goes like change only occurs when the pain of remaining the same is too great, right? Mm-hmm. So you just reach this pain pleasure threshold and it's like, yeah. I, you know, it's either I make a change or this is the end of, uh, of my life. Not, not maybe from a physical point, but you know, when we think about our lives, it's either like, well, I'm just gonna give up on everything because 
I just can't continue on this way, or I have to do something so drastic that it becomes that, that my life becomes something completely different than my old one. And, and I think going through that pain and that suffering and coming to that, that precipice, and then, you know, you know, making the leap, just saying, nope, I'm done. I have to do something completely different is what really gives us our life back. And at the moment it feels like, oh my gosh, I'm ending my life, but really you're not, you're, you're starting an entire new one. Yeah. And I, I think that quote about change is so, so important. I, I have told people over and over again, you know, my whole life until I was 40, my biggest fear was people knowing I was gay. Cause I knew from early on that I was attracted to guys and I didn't, but I didn't understand how much stress that was putting in every single action where I would go to a business lunch and it's like, Oh, I can't order a salad. Cause that's going to make me look gay. And if I go to a thing at night, like I would watch what the other guys order. And it's like, well, I should order a beer instead of wine. Cause that's going to make me look gay. And how I dress like every single decision from the time I woke up and, and it was subtle and subconscious, but that's a lot of stress and pressure that I, I wasn't even aware that I was putting myself under because I had done it my whole life. And you get to a point where if you're scared of something, the only thing that's going to break that fear is a bigger fear. And for me, that was the fear of living the rest of my life miserable. Right. And, and it's not that one thing that I had to kind of realize, it's not that, Oh my gosh, I just wanted to be with a guy so bad. I, had to get away from my ex-wife our relationship wasn't didn't have good dynamics and it's because when you're not comfortable with yourself and accepting of yourself you can't demand that other people give their best to you right and on the flip side you can't give your best to the other person so i'm not you know trying to say oh either one was so awful in the situation but i know from what i brought to the relationship i couldn't bring my best self and i couldn't expect her to bring her best self to me and so that was not a good mixture for a healthy relationship. And right. so, you know, it's like that, that fear, that change, it's like, I got to make that change because I can't stay like this. Well, and there's, you know, change is a very scary thing for a lot of people and it can be a minuscule change or it can be a, a huge change. Like you didn't just change one thing about your life. You uprooted and derailed everything about your life and just went to complete reconstruction mode, which is to be applauded for anybody, you know, regardless of the circumstances, just because, you know, I, I fear changing places. I go get gas or go get lunch sometimes because you just don't know what's going to happen. Like, fear, you know, the fear of change and differences is, 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 is in everybody. Everybody's mm -hmm. got it. So to be able to completely do what you've done in your life and recognize the fact that your just utter just the unhappiness of your circumstances as a whole had to change so drastically that you just you went for it just kind of while i'm at it i might as well just reconstruct everything mm -hmm. and and that's amazing to know that it worked out for you in such a positive way because in a lot of ways we do the same thing when we decide to go ahead and have weight loss surgery because like you you knew you were unhappy in your marriage and your marriage was you know or your your relationship had gone on for 23 years most of us have been bigger than our normal average self for about that amount of time. So that breakup, while, you know, it, it's different than a romantic breakup in, in many ways, the, the, you know, the, the darkness of the change appears the same and it's so heavy, so heavily weighs on us mm -hmm. because it's changing everything from how we're going to move forward in our lives. So that's, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. it's it's amazing to hear kind of the parallels that run between what's gone on for you and what you know a lot of us and our listeners are facing yeah and i would i would wonder if if this has happened for you guys or any of your listeners but for myself you know you make the change and you realize that you're doing it for whatever reason you decided maybe it's you know, maybe it's medical, maybe it's mental health, maybe it's because you just got to make that change, but you get partway down the tracks and that's no longer the reason that you, like, it's not fulfilling for that reason anymore. Because like for myself, I'll tell you a quick story. I, the first guy that I dated, the only guy that I really dated after I, after I came out, I dated him for about six months and I had, um, it was a good, it was a good test relationship. I could introduce a guy to my kids and my parents, you know, it's funny, I joke that when I was 16, I was nervous about introducing a girl to my parents. And then I'm 40 and I'm uh, nervous about introducing a guy to my kids. It's like total <laughs> role reversal completely. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I broke up with him and then I was kind of trying to decide about getting back out there on the market. And I had this, you know, another kind of moment that hit me because I used to think you have these moments that define you and then your life has changed. And then, mm. but it's, it's not so much that it's that your life alters course until you get to the next moment and then it alters course again. And so I had this moment where I was trying to, you know, look around to see who to date. Nobody, I wasn't hitting it off with anybody or, you know, either they weren't catching my eye or I wasn't catching theirs or whatever. And I realized that there were all these things that I hadn't done. I had never finished writing a book and I'd always want to finish writing a book. I had never gotten on stage and talked to a group in a very moving way other than you know sales presentations and things like that. And I realized that that's what I needed to focus on and my successful coming out story, the happy ending wasn't that I met a man and I'm dating somebody. The happy ending was that I could do all these things that I couldn't pursue because I wasn't okay being myself and that wasn't allowing my voice to get out there. Right. And I guess, and so that's why I wonder, like sometimes maybe, you know, you start out having surgery because there's a health issue or something. And then all of a sudden that's over, but you still got to get through the process afterwards. But, but what, you know, what is the thing where you're like, oh, this is my new motivation or my new reasoning. So you so perfectly illustrated the work of weight loss surgery. This has kind of become like our mantra at East to West because it is so difficult to describe to people what, why weight loss surgery is so difficult and why 50% of us regain our weight after surgery. And it's for exactly the reason that you said, we go into surgery thinking I'm having this for, for the, for this very specific reason. And then once you recover and you get a couple of months into it, you realize, oh my God, food was the stress in my life that was constant. I was always thinking about food. I was always worrying about food. I was always prepping food. I was, I was obsessing over it. I was comparing myself to others and what was I eating? And if I eat this, are people going to judge me or worrying about our secret eating, right? I mean, there's billions of things that were, that we were doing in secret every single day. And it was, and we were trying to keep it hidden and repressed. And then all of a sudden, when we acknowledge just how much time of our lives and of our mental capacity was dedicated to food in some capacity, we have to, we, we, we have to, we have a reckoning. And at that reckoning is where we realize, oh my God, this is really about X, Y, and Z. It's not about one, two, three. And that is a very 
difficult moment in our lives. And if we don't acknowledge that and then really kind of say, okay, this is why I'm doing this now. And this is why, and this is why, and keep those reasons at the forefront. We're just going to say, no, this is not what I thought. This is not what I expected. This is not what I signed up for. No, 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 no. And you go right back to your old ways because that's safe. Even though you were miserable and, and awful and you were killing yourself, you know, you were taking years off of your life and your ability to walk with your kids on a campus tour, right? All these things that you couldn't do, that is safer than the work of weight loss surgery. So a very long answer, short, yes. We absolutely, Jason and I are both going, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's why we were so excited to talk to you because we're like, even though we're, we're on, you know, you have not had bariatric surgery. We, we have, right? Your personal experience is different fr from ours. In so many ways, it's the same. And we can learn so much from each other's outside perspective that's only going to help us become our best versions of ourselves, right? To embrace the awkward that's always been inside of us and just say, actually, this isn't awkward at all. This is just who I am. And it's pretty, you know, fucking rad. Mm -hmm. And I'm just gonna, I'm, I have to live this way because this is truly who I am. And the weight was keeping this down and, and it, it's gone, the weight's gone now. And I need to learn how to let my true self shine and, and, and be used in the world for good. So. Yeah, yeah. no, I, and I like at the beginning, how you talked about bringing people in from other experiences to share mm -hmm. the commonality, because I think too often, I, you know, I, I've seen this in, in all sorts of different communities, but I see it in, in the LGBTQ community where, um, you know, we look for people with our same experiences. And this is where I feel like there's a there can be a negative side to kind of self-help type groups or you know um, collective groups when when you do it in the wrong way to where you're kind of staying in your grief together, patting mm -hmm. each other on the back for you know it's okay to be like this because the world's against you and X Y Z and no one else understands our story, mm -hmm. but I'm here to say everybody understands your story a lot more. They don't they don't know how much they understand it, but you know, I, I always tell people everybody's in the closet about something and, you know, it might not be as obvious, but it's sometimes it's more obvious. You know, if, if you're, if you're, um, if you have weight that you want to lose, then that might be more obvious when you walk into a building where people are like, oh, that person's bigger than this person. Mm -hmm. If you are, uh, you know, maybe you have a really thick accent and that's something that you're like, oh my gosh, they're going to, Notice that maybe mm -hmm. there's a language barrier here. Mm -hmm. Some things are more mm -hmm. obvious that we have to work through. And some things are like, oh my gosh, I don't even know if that person is, is nervous or afraid because they look really confident, but that confidence is hiding all of their insecurities. Mm -hmm. Or the really shy person is very confident and you just don't even know it. But, um, but I think that finding people who have had similar situations, but not the same, uh, not the same journey is mm -hmm. where we kind of find that those new creative ways to come together and and yes way to look at things and also to have that to it actually i think it brings the communities together more than anything because we're not staying in our own selves mm -hmm. yeah well we find we find that on facebook a lot a lot of the people that have come to instagram and and found the the bariatric community over there 
is pleasantly surprised because of the positive feedback you get from the Instagram side of things where on the Facebook side of things, it tends to be a little judgy and a little more, well, this is how I did it during my process. And if you don't do it the same way, then you're doing it wrong. You're not supposed to eat that. You're not supposed to drink that. You're only supposed to have this. You can't have that. And a lot of people don't realize that just because you and I may have had the same procedure, my doctor, my bariatric nutritionist, like I, I have the same people that you have. They just may have a different program than what you went through. Sure. So where you can't have certain things, I can have certain things. Now, our path may not be exactly the same, but guess what? We're going to end up at the same lower weight. We're going to be healthier. Everybody's going to win in the end. So how about you don't worry about what I have on my plate and I won't worry about what you have on your plate. Right. And, and also, if you eat something that's not on your program, you're going to be the one that has to deal with it and not them, right? It's like, yes. that's great. Yeah, you're not, yeah. you're, you're you're not the very savior. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is, this yeah. is a, a great time, I think, to dive into kind of the first question that, that we want to ask you, which is really like, how do we live, how do we live after our secret is out? Right. And as we were kind of talking about earlier, obesity is like the, the best worst kept secret. Right. Because when you walk into a space and you appear larger than average humans, everybody knows you've got an issue. Right. Everybody knows what your secret is. If we were drug addicts, we could hide that. Right. If we were alcoholics, we, we could hide that. If we were addicted to shopping or gambling or sex, pornography, we could hide all of that. Right. But with obesity, you know that somebody is struggling with food, biology, genetics, a combination of all three, one, right? Like there's no hiding that, but yet it's a secret because people, you know, they don't know exactly why you are the way that you are, but they know that clearly something's, something's wrong and nobody wants to address it. And everybody wants to, uh, you know, it's, it's hush hush, but you know, he, he, here we are. And, and I think when we finally tell the world, hey, I'm going to have bariatric surgery, or we even just say it to ourselves, even if we haven't shared it with anybody, all of a sudden we're kind of like outing our secret and we're acknowledging what we've been working so hard to hide or to make seem like not such a big deal. Uh, you know, and it's a lot of work leading up to that moment where you, where you, you, you out yourself, right? You just say, nope, I, I, I got a problem and I need to deal with this. But then all of a sudden we have to, we have to figure out, well, wait a minute, if I've been lying to people all of these years, how are they going to perceive me, right? If I just come out and say, hey, I haven't been living truthfully, sorry, how do we, ooh, you know, how, how do we handle that, that process? And then how do we move forward in our new lives, acknowledging that what we've been doing in the past was kind of, was not truthful? Right, yeah, I, I think the first thing is to give yourself a lot of grace. You've got to be able to let go of any guilt you have around harboring that secret because it's something that you have lived with and dealt with. And I know when I was first, when I first came out, everybody that I told, now granted, they were also people that were closer to me. So the conversation needed to have a little bit more levity. Um, you know, you can't just tell your parents you're gay in passing and be like, ah, no big deal. Uh, there's a few questions that come up. Mm -hmm. um, your kids or your close siblings. Mm -hmm. But once you get out of that initial time frame, you need to be able to not dwell in that space of needing to think that you need to over explain yourself all the time. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, I, I, I like to talk, I paid to speak. And so sometimes the hardest thing that I have to do is to shut up and end the sentence. Like if I, I used to say, I'm gay, 
yada, yada, yada. I, you know, I was in the closet. I was married, blah, blah, blah. But I don't need to say that. I can just say I'm gay and end the sentence. And that's enough. My favorite line is, it, this is a statement, not a conversation. Right. Yeah. Right? I'm not inviting you to, to, to talk to me about my decision to have bariatric mm -hmm. surgery. I'm telling you. Right. There's a big difference. And that's so yeah. powerful. People don't know that you can end the sentence, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, for me, it hit when I had a friend who I had caught up with on Facebook. Because when I was married, I wasn't on any social media. My friends referred to it as the time when I was off the earth for a while. And they're like, welcome back. <laughs> so 23 years, what have you been up to? But uh, a friend of mine who I connected with from high school, I said, I'm gay. And she says, oh, you told the right person. I can help you you know, I, I have friends who are gay and, and I just, it took me a minute to kind of step back and think, well, why does she need to think I need all this like help and counseling and treating me like a wounded bird in a, in an oil, you know, spill that yeah. needs to be cleaned up. And, but I, I started to think about how I'm telling my story. And I realized that I was hesitant to say it. I was slow to bring it up. I, you know, made the sentence longer than it needed to be mm -hmm. instead of just kind of blowing it off and saying, well, I'm gay and it's no big deal, but this is me. And I realized in that moment, you know, we are all the first voice in our story. And the way we project that voice is the way people are going to choose to receive it. And so if I want someone to not make being gay a big deal, then I need to not make it a big deal. And I can pick and choose sometimes if I want it to be a bigger deal or not, but people are going to hear our voice the way that we say it to the world. And if you're saying it in a non-confident way or making the sentence too long, then that's what they're going to come back with. And they're going to make those statements into conversations. Yeah, it's definitely a, a difference in, in kind of how you sing your song, definitely. And, you know, making sure to let them know that, like April said, it's a statement, not a conversation. And the, the, the help, the assistance that they think you need is, is quite comical too. Like, well, that's funny. I wasn't aware you were this big guru to help all the, <laughs> to help the world with their problems. I apologize. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I just used to always, uh, you know, like, like we talked about kind of confronting the, the, the worst best kept secret is uh, I just used to refer to myself as the elephant in the room and break the ice and the, and all that so that we didn't have to worry about it. And I, that way I didn't feel the judgment, uh, you know, like I know I would if I didn't say anything. And I was always the first person to ask for the fat kid friendly chair without arms, um, mm -hmm. you know, always scanning all the things, you know, there was lots of things I used in my, in my repertoire of things to disarm, you know, when I was in rooms with other people if they weren't really close enough to me to know kind of the relationship that, that we had together. But it, it just kind of made me feel at ease to kind of worry, you know, not worry so much and not be as self-conscious. But yeah, it's definitely important in how you voice and how you voice those things to other people. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of comfort in control of a situation and feeling mm -hmm. like if I make the joke first, if I... Mm -hmm somehow steer the conversation, then I have control. And now I don't have to deal with the fear of the unknown of what the other person's going to say or where this mm -hmm. is going to lead or how mm -hmm. they made the judgment. Mm -hmm. And a good friend of mine, right around when I was coming out, he made a comment to me about how we can't be responsible for other people's feelings. We can only be responsible for our actions and what we say and how, 
how we take things. But if, if something hurts someone else, you know, you can be aware of how you're treating people and you should be respectful. But if they're hurt because of an action you take or, or the road you need to take your life on, that's mm -hmm. on them. You have to be able to let that go. And I know for myself, I've learned, I have very codependent, you know, tendencies, or at least I've gotten better, but, but it was where I would take on, you know, well, how are they going to feel about this? Is it the right time to share this? And mm -hmm. I would overanalyze every single aspect of, mm -hmm. of anything. And that's always kind of gotten me in that analysis to paralysis mode where I, I don't have the conversation soon enough. I don't take the action soon enough because I'm always waiting for the right time. And a lot of it is out of over-consideration for people's feelings, which is actually disrespectful to the person because it's not giving them the respect to have command of their own feelings and give them the chance to actually, you know, in many times be supportive where they might be. Right. And I think too, you know, uh, a lot of times we don't know that what we went through, right? We, we don't, we don't realize that our mind and our body did what it thought it needed to do in the moment to keep us alive, right? Some, at some point in our lives, we, we had a moment of, of sheer panic when our brains or our bodies really did think we were in physical peril and it did whatever it could possibly do to keep us alive. And for many of us who've undergone bariatric surgery, that mechanism was food. Right, we experienced something so traumatic, so over the top that our brains were like, "Oh my gosh, you are you are at the precipice of really truly dying. You need to, I need to, you right, triage this this situation." And it was through therapy that uh, that I really learned this. But you know, David, my my addiction therapist at the time, he just said, "Look, you need to stop beating yourself self up over this. You need to stop." questioning why you have such a dependence on food. You need to thank your brain. You need to thank your body for keeping you alive. And now you need to move on, right? Now you need to find a solution to, to this. If, if you're just continually beating yourself up, you're never going to get to the space of grace. And it's only once you arrive there, can you move forward? And, you know, it was those magic words from him that allowed me to go, oh, okay, so this isn't something I need to be shameful about. This is really something I can almost be a little bit proud about because my, my brain did exactly what it was supposed to do and keep me alive, right? So it was right. like, good job. Okay, I mean, I, I wish maybe it wasn't food, but I guess it could have been something worse, right? I could have picked a, yeah. a, you know, any of the vices you know, from the world that I could have turned to to, to survive and, and food. Okay, you know, that I, I can deal with that. I, I can overcome that. And you know, the other advice that I always give people is that you need to practice your statement because if you don't practice it and, and it comes at you, because people are gonna come at you with, well, why bariatric surgery? Or, well, that was the easy way out or that was stupid or why risk that? Or, you know, they're gonna tell you their opinion. And if you are not armed with your practice statement, then all of a sudden, whatever you tell them is opening up a conversation that you might not be ready to have. And you need to be the one who just, of the conversation and in what tone and in what manner that conversation happens. So I always tell people you need you need your canned statement. And if your canned statement is I'm having bariatric surgery, period, right? That is not that is not open for conversation. And if somebody wants to go, oh, but I just don't understand. I'm having bariatric surgery. That's the only thing that you need to know. Mm -hmm. Right. When yeah, we're allowed right. to do that. It's not a bad thing. You you know, like you said, we really need to protect uh, how we roll out that conversation. We really need to protect our, our messaging around that. And if we're not ready to message, 
then then you're not ready and that's okay, right? People shouldn't make you feel bad about that. But the more that we practice it and the more that we, we speak our truths, even to ourselves, I, I think that the clearer our message will come out to others and then we can really uh, guide the conversation in whatever direction we want. Oh, definitely. And I, I think that's such a good, a good practice because we need to be okay with, with who we are first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And we can pick and choose when we when it's worth sharing. I don't have to tell everybody I'm having a surgery. I don't, you know, some people don't need to know that they can see the results and they don't even need to know how I got the results if I don't want that person to know. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we, we feel like we have to answer all these questions that the world puts upon us in reality. It's like, you know what, we don't. And, you know, there are people that are closer to us that we might need to have that conversation with, but we, we can pick and choose that. I think it's interesting how you were talking about your therapist talking about being okay with that and forgiving yourself in that area. I know I had a similar situation in therapy where I had a list of all the reasons I could be gay. Like before I came out, I was like, I think I come out to my therapist, but it was, there was like a two or three weeks where I had a couple appointments with him before I came out to the ex-wife. And I remember having this list of, it could be this, it could be that, you know, and, and we don't know all these answers. And at one point he basically said, well, one of the things he said is, well, we have to be careful before we open some doors because our brain protects us for a reason. Mm-hmm. And unless there's, you know, something that's still predatory out there that we need to protect ourselves from, then it's not worth opening those doors. And also, does it really matter the reason? It doesn't change who I am. It doesn't mm-hmm. change what I need to deal with in the world that I'm in now and going forward. So the reason you know, while that might give you some comfort or some justification, but once you know the reason, then are you going to go try to undo the reason? Are you going to try to fight it? Are you going to argue it? Are you going to use it as an excuse so you can be a victim because you had that reason? The reason really doesn't matter. It's just there. Yeah, the reason reason and the timeline are both very arbitrary to me Mm -hmm. because, you know, you can have a why is a little different than uh, than a hard and fast reason for it. Like, well, I'm having bariatric surgery because I don't want to be on blood pressure medicine forever. Eh, yeah, but no, that's not a why. That's, you know, because that's going to fade and go away once you lose, you know, some weight and, it, you know, whatever amount of weight it is, you the, you know, it's, it's fairly common for you to come off your meds. But mm-hmm. having a why, like I want to be around for my kids and my grandkids, that's a little more solid and steadfast that you can stand behind and say, this is why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. The same goes for the timeline. Like, well, if I don't lose 150 pounds by March of next year, then I, you know, then I failed my plan. Well, that's, that's not going to serve you any better either. Or to say, well, this person lost, you know, 78 pounds in eight months and I only lost 50 pounds in eight months. Why are they doing better than I? It's, it's those types of things that will really hinder your progress in life as a whole, regardless of it's bariatric surgery or not. If you started a job with somebody else and they happen to move up high, higher and faster than you do, that's not on you. That's on them. That, you know, it just depends on what they've done versus what you've done. It's not always a knock against you, you know, to say things like that. And you've really got to be okay with timelines not running your progress because it's just not it's not healthy to hold yourself to timelines that a lot of the time are you know it's just not normal Mm -hmm. and I I think that not comparing is so hard right because we see it it's in front of us now more than ever on social media you open up and it's like 
dang it, how does East to West have more followers than me? And they started <laughs> after me. And how does this person have more likes on their post? And I posted at the same time. And, and you start to do all these things. And one of, the th one of the things somebody said is, you can only compare yourself to the version of you that was here yesterday. And so did I do a better job today than yesterday? And, mm -hmm. and some days the answer is no, but you know, then you're like, okay, well, tomorrow I'm going to make that better. Yeah. And, uh, I, I want to, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, because something that has been really important for me and you had said, you know, how do we live after that secret's exposed? Mm -hmm. uh, I think one thing to remember is that there aren't these events in our lives that change us and then we are magically healed and we move on. It's, it's a progress and it's a continual journey. And I remember after I came out and I was divorced and it was about almost a year later, I was living on my own. I'm renting a room. I feel like I'm in a dorm and you know, I'm 41 by this point and just depressed in life. I'm like, what did I do all this for? And I started to notice that I hadn't had a, a breakdown emotionally for a couple of days. And then I have a day where I couldn't quite get through it again. I'm like, you know, crying and eating all this stuff and just, you know, not, not handling life well. And, but I got to a point where it was like, it had been two days and then it had been four days. And I, I realized that the, the way to feel better was to track the length of time between breakdowns. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, if I can go for two hours without breaking down and then maybe next time it'll be two days. Then when I got to that space, I could say, you know what? this is a bad moment right now, but it's been a week since I felt like this. And so maybe next time I can go a week and a day mm -hmm. and maybe in a month I'll be able to go two weeks. And that, that length of good versus bad, that's progress in your life. And that's what you're actually experiencing. And that's, that, that for me was something that was really helpful after that secret is exposed to be able to really track the difference in the good versus the bad and how, how close they were together data collection is a key to our success, right? And it's not something that, you know, most of us like to do. I mean, some of us are just hardwired for data. Uh, others are not, others we really have to work at it. But the only way that we can really know if we are making progress towards our goals or towards our desires, our, our dreams, is if we have the hard data to fall back on. And yes, and a simple marker of when was the last time that I felt this or I did this, uh, it is a great way for us to do that because we can look back and actually see the progress, which is motivating, right? Mm -hmm. We can see, oh, changes are happening and, and they're happening in the direction that I want. Oh, good. Okay, well, what have I been doing? Oh, X, Y, and Z. Okay, well, clearly I need to keep doing those things. And the more often that we focus on the things that are helping us move in the right direction, uh, the more often we will find success, which is of course just the the, the good cycle, right? We're, we're moving away right. from the shame cycle we're, and we're moving into the, the gratitude cycle and the good cycle. And the more that we can live there, yes, absolutely, yeah. the better. And I think too, when you're doing that data collection, find more than one way to measure success. So yes. it's not just a number on the scale. It's how did I feel today? Did I, was I able to do something different that I haven't done before for a longer length of time? Or yes. did I have a better conversation with somebody? Have I had more good, you know, whatever it is, it's like, okay, well, I've interacted with five friends this week and a, a month ago, I would have only interacted with two, whatever thing that it can be that's not tied to just that one definition of success so that yes. when that doesn't happen or you don't see the number, then you can go, okay, well, these are all good things that are happening that are still from this situation. Well, and 
a lot of what, you know, we've talked about this forever about collecting little pieces of everybody's recipe. And I really got to thinking about it the other day, just listening to interacting with people that we do on the page, which I love to do because there's so many stories out there and so many things that, you know, different ways of looking at things that you get to do when you interact with the amount of people that we do. And to me, I really never thought of it like this, but we're in the end, we're building a collage. So we pick, you know, we collect little pieces. We do little things from here and there. And at the end, we're able to put forth this beautiful picture that we've made from these little pieces that we've picked up along the way in our journey. And it may not be the best, you know, not every piece is going to be as beautiful as the other piece, but they all fit and they're all there for a reason. And they all are pieces of the bigger picture in the end. And it all ends up making something beautiful. It's just the progress and the, the, the journey that it takes to get there. Yeah. It's just, it's just like, I look at our, ourselves as like packages from the cable company. You know, you want certain channels, but you don't want the others, but you can't get the bundle without getting a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, you know, we don't throw a fit. We know that's how that is. Right. So it's like, you know, maybe I went through this journey and I was heavier than I was. I was in the closet or I was doing whatever for that part of my life. But that's part of what makes up all these other parts of my personality. That might be what inspires my creativity. That might be what makes me really confident or whatever it is that makes you brilliant in this way. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, oh, if I could only get rid of that other part, because that other part is the kind of the fuel behind the scenes of what makes the other thing blossom. Yes. yes. Well, and this really ties in beautifully to the other thing that we really are excited to talk to you about today, this concept of the arrival fallacy, right? So mm-hmm. so the, the arrival fallacy is, is a term that was coined by a gentleman, and I'm just looking at my notes because I don't want to mess this up, but his name is Tal, Tal Ben Shahir. He's a Harvard-trained uh, positive psychologist expert, and he coined this term, which is known, which is the arrival fallacy. And basically he describes it as this wave of hopelessness, right? That's that we sometimes experience after we have quote unquote reached a goal, right? And he says the arrival fallacy is the illusion that once we make it, once we have attained our goal or reached our destination, we will find lasting happiness, right? And this is, I think something that everybody in the bariatric community experiences, right? Because you go into surgery thinking you're doing it for one reason, right? Or that, or that once I lose a hundred pounds, I'll finally be happy or I'll finally, you know, find that relationship or I'll land that job. And then we realize, oh, wait a minute, I've lost my weight and I'm still not where I thought that I would, that I would be. And it's a very dark place, right? And just that, that word, of like hopelessness really kind of like that oh, summarizes it because you work so hard to get to this point and you're finally there and then you look around and you go okay wait a minute my the prize that I thought was here is not here right like this is oh what the hell right and it is such a dangerous place to be because that's why 50% of people regain their weight after surgery right? They work so hard, they get to this point, or they compare themselves to others. And they say, well, I've only lost 50 pounds, but this person's lost 120 pounds. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? I did something wrong, right? And then we just give up and we, and we go back to our old ways. And what sparked this thinking is that, you know, I think a way to combat this and what, what research has shown us is a way to kind of combat this arrival fallacy is that we have to have more than one measurement of success, because if we're only basing success on a number, on, on the scale, right? That scale tells us what our gravitational pull to the earth is. 
that's it. But if we're only basing our success on what we weigh, we're missing out on all of these other measures of success that actually give us the complete picture of who we are and of, of what we've accomplished as a person. That's one way to kind of avoid this, um, you know, the, this arrival fallacy. Uh, but what are some other ways that we can avoid this, that, that we can find success and be happy throughout our entire journey, not just at the scale? Yeah, you know, it reminds me of the first time I was aware of this happening to me, where I, I noticed it in the moment. I had written my first book, and it was a guided journal called Life Gets Better. And it's, it's a very simple principle. It's what I had to do when I was depressed. And that was write down three things today that I'm going to do to make tomorrow better. And then at the end of the day, I'll reflect on what three things did I do, because they might not be the same thing. But when I first did it, it was like, okay, get up on time, brush my teeth, go outside. Like it was like, it could be that basic and it could be that same thing 10 days in a row till I get on to being like, call a friend. But, but I had written this journal because I realized that people can't always work from a blank slate. And so this could be helpful. And I wrote this book, I get it out there, I, I publish it. A bunch of my friends bought copies and I, I wake up the next morning and I'm the same person. And I'm just disappointed and depressed because I was like, wait, I'm a published author now. Like there's, I'm still in the same skin. I still got the same Cheerios in the cupboard. I'm like nothing different going on in my life. And, and I was like, well, what was all this for? And then, and what the danger with that arrival fallacy is that then you, you start to question your whole journey and were your goals even right? Because if that didn't fulfill me, I must've had the wrong goal. And we start to reason and try and find these things. And, and as I started reading on it and doing therapy and learning more about that as, as an actual issue and not just me, you know, not hitting the right goal, I realized that I need to always have something in the pipeline. As soon as I start to get close to an arrival, I start brainstorming on what my next thing is going to be so mm -hmm. that right away on the very next day and even a little bit, I start doing a little pre-work on it because we need to always have something in the pipeline because the definition, de definition of feeling successful is actually how we feel in the pursuit of the success. It's not getting the success. And that's where that arrival fallacy really comes true because the prize is, is us pursuing and hunting and gathering and doing all the work. That's what we as humans love and need. And when we stop doing it, you know, that, that's kind of, that's the definition of dead when you stop living. And so we think that when we get to that point, we should be happy, but then we stop doing the things that make us full of life. Yes. And so we just need to create another thing that's full of life, whether it's maybe my next goal is going to be to start painting or write poetry or whatever it is. It, you know, it doesn't have to be anything even tied to the same line that you were pursuing. Mm -hmm. And you know, research around this concept of arrival fallacy has really kind of come up with a few things that we can do to avoid it. And one of those things is, you know, by setting multiple goals that are concurrent in in all the different facets of our life, right? So setting some some professional goals, setting some personal goals, setting some intimate goals, right? Having having a, a continuum of goals is what helps us 
stay in the place where we are most productive. And that's when we are pursuing something that is valuable to us, right? So, so to focus on, on the journey and not the outcome is one of the ways that we can kind of avoid this, this feeling of arrival fallacy. And research has also said that if we set goals based on how we want to feel, or if we think about the feelings that we're trying to, uh, to achieve by reaching that goal, we will never actually get to this, this arrival fallacy, right? Because if we ground our, our goals and ambitions in, in how we want to feel, we, we can always achieve that feeling. And, and it's the feeling that, that provides us this sense of contentment and not necessarily achieving that goal, right? So, so instead of saying like, well, I want to become a senior manager, we need to really think about, well, why do I want to become a senior manager? What is the feeling that I am seeking in, in, in achieving right, this outcome? So we can shift it to, well, if, I'm, if I was a senior manager, I would feel secure or I would feel valued or I would feel like I have an outlet for my creativity, right? These are feelings. So if we base our goals on these feelings, we're, every time that we get to that feeling point, we get a little, hmm. Okay, I did good, right? And we're always going to want to seek that feeling. So there's never this point where we're going to arrive. Or when we do arrive, it's like, oh, okay, I, I feel at peace. That's what we're going for, right? Mm -hmm. And we can only get there if we if we focus on our feelings. So by having these multiple goals and by focusing on our feelings, we can still have goals, right? Because humans are driven by 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 the finish line, right? We want to cross that finish line. That's that's the goal. So we're not saying that that you shouldn't have goals or that you can't have goals. We're saying they should be in multiple areas of your life. You should have many at one time. And if we focus on the feeling, we're going to avoid this. We're, we're going to avoid feeling disappointed at the end because we're we're achieving a a sense within ourselves, not a, not something outside of ourselves. Right. And the other thing that that does too, when you're focusing on the feeling, that keeps you from getting closed-minded about only one way to get to that feeling. Yes. Because if you're, if you just want to be that senior level manager and it doesn't happen, but maybe you had a really awesome opportunity that you passed up, which would have gotten you all of those feelings and you pass it up because you were so focused on becoming a senior level manager because that's the only thing that you defined as success. Mm -hmm. Now you miss maybe even more greater success and more happiness. Yes. Right. Or you get, you know, resent, resentful of the job that you're currently doing so that when oh, you don't yeah. get that other job, you come back to the job and now you're not doing as well at your current job or your yeah. current weight loss or current whatever because you're pissed off because you didn't hit the goal, which yeah. I thought was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious. I went and did a uh, follow up with my sleep study doctor and it's a new doctor that I hadn't seen before. And he's reading my card and doing my stuff and he walks in and he's, he's about the same height as me. So he's about six, four, maybe a little bit taller, but he's like real thin, boom, just real thin. And he's like, you know, he asked me, he's like, well, uh, you know, he's like, lost a lot of weight, doing really good. He's like, what's your, what's your goal weight? And I was like, I'm trying to get down to like 250. And he was like, I mean, you could keep going. And I was like, I could. And he was like, I'm like 188. And I was like, that's fantastic. I was 188 too in middle school, but I'm not, <laughs> my, our frames are different, sir. So it's not going to be that same way for me. So I had to kind of clue him into what was what. And I'm like, dude, if I had, if my lean muscle mass with zero fat is 235, so I'm not going to be 188, even if I try. So yes. that's not going to work for me. But I appreciate you trying to, you know, show me another side to my goal, but my goal is a little different. So I had to make a little adjustment on the fly there. Yeah, and that, that is, that's hard too when people try to put their ideal goal on you, yeah. which 
might not be healthy, might not be the best thing. And then if you let that get in your head, all of a sudden it's, oh, well, I should be like, for me, it's like, oh, I'm supposed to be that kind of gay. Like that, that's a thing where it's like, oh, but if you were really, you know, if you were really part of this, you would be doing this, this, or act like this or dress like that. Like, no. Right. They disqualify you. They disqualify your entire story, your entire journey, because you didn't do it in the, in the way that they think it should be done. Right. So, so what all of a sudden you, right. You're, you're telling people about your experience or, or, or what you're going through. And then they say, Oh, well, well, why didn't you do X, Y, and Z? Well, you should have done X, Y, and Z. And then they completely disregard now everything that you've done. They make you feel like shit because, well, you didn't, you didn't do what, what, what they said. So not only is that harmful for you, but you know, they've, they've, that this person has completely disqualified everything that you've been through. So then they stop listening to you. And it's just like, you gotta be kidding me. Did you not just see, did you not just listen to what I said I went through? Did you not witness me go from 326 pounds to 205 pounds? Like that's not a big deal because I didn't go to the gym two days a week. Well, you gotta be- not only, not only will it, sec- it make you second guess your own process, but it makes you second guess telling anybody else because of, you know, how you felt from, from telling the people you thought were going to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if this is a thing, um, for, for people who have who've gone through bariatric surgery, but I know I had this this interesting in, interaction with a friend of mine where um, he was bothered because someone outed him. And for me, it's something that I'm very over the further I've been away from being out. But for this person, he was a trans person. And so he didn't want to be identified as what he used to be. So for him, I, it, it was this moment that, oh, his journey is to get into the closet and be identified just as who he is today. <clears throat> and my journey was to be as out of the closet. And so to me, it's, it's the further away I get from that event, the less impactful it is if someone assumes I'm gay or someone says I'm gay and I didn't tell them, like it's, to me, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. But for someone who's gone through a different journey, they're trying to not be defined by that the rest of their life to where they just want to be this is who I am and do I always have mm-hmm. to explain this is where I came from mm-hmm. and, and I think even for myself I can understand that too because I you know I don't always want to go through the whole back history and story of well this is where I was where I got here today even though I podcast and talk about it all the time but maybe maybe leads an impression but but I don't know if that can be something that people run into where it's like do I always have to be identified by this event? Oh yeah, no. There's lots of people in the in the bariatric community that won't tell a soul. They won't tell anybody. They don't even tell their parents. They don't tell family members. They just go off for a, for a weekend getaway and then come back. And then over the next year and a half, they drop 200 pounds and they're just like, I've just been eating better and going to the gym. And that's not only being true to yourself, but it's not being true to the other people around you that you could inspire to have the surgery and maybe fix and better their life. Not that it's anybody's responsibility to be the superhero for everybody around them, but at the same time, like I just don't hiding that kind of secret didn't really make any sense to me because I told everybody that would listen long enough. Like I didn't give a shit. Like I was telling everybody, even if they didn't want to know and didn't care, I was still like, Hey, what's up? I'm going to have surgery. I'm going to drop a couple hundred pounds. It's going to be awesome. But that was just my, I mean, that was just how I chose to, to attack it. You know, and I think I think the reason that that people choose to not share that they've had bariatric surgery is 
it, it, it's, it's like an onion, right? There's tons of layers to that. And, and it has to do with living with a secret, right? It has to do with admitting some really, um, you know, what, what we think is shameful parts of ourselves, right? It means that we need to admit we've got, you know, a, an addiction, a dependence or a tolerance on food, right? It comes with a lot of things. And as you kind of said uh, earlier, Andy, right? Like sometimes, you know, we can't, we can't open some doors to our brains because it's just, it's let out more bad than good. And if we're just not ready to, to acknowledge all of that, then yeah, telling people that we've had bariatric surgery it is not good for us. And I think the reason that Jason such advocates are doing so is because we want the world to know that bariatric surgery is a medical tool that we can access to live our lives at a weight that's healthy for us. It's no different than a heart stint. It's no different than insulin. It's no different than ibuprofen. These are tools that people use to live their healthiest lives. And we just want the world to know that bariatric surgery is another tool unlike, you know, or like all of these other things. So for us, when people drop this massive amount of weight and then they just say, oh, well, I exercise and I ate less. That's true, right? You did do those things, but you're omitting the, the singular thing that allowed you, that kickstarted your healthier eating habits and your, your movement, you know, uh, every day. So by, by leaving out that little part of your story, you're, you're, you're in a way disqualifying yourself. And that's hard for us to take because we feel disqualified in our own stories so often from people outside of our lives. So when we see people disqualifying their own decision or their own hard work, their own effort, that kind of hurts. But it's like what you're talking about. Like, that's not our story to tell. That's not our decision to make for somebody. All that Jason and I can do is say, hey, here's, here's why we share a story. Here's our recipe. Here's why we've chosen to do so. Our goal is to, is to make bariatric surgery something that everybody thinks is normal because it is. Uh, so, you know, so that's why we've done it. But, but this, you know, this disqualification is important that we acknowledge because it comes from outside of ourselves and it can even come from within ourselves. And that gets us into a really dark spot uh, where, where we kick back into the shame cycle and we go back to eating and then we regain our weight. We don't want people to do that. Yeah, and I love how you equate it to being no different than a stint or ibuprofen because people, it's not. right, and, and people will treat something as acceptable as long as it's within what, what they consider their realm of normal. And the, the same person who might think that that's one thing is, is extreme doesn't have any problem, you know, with, you know, it's hard to, you know, like I'll see people drink, you know, uh, energy drinks all day long and not think that that's extreme. And yet someone will be smoking or will be uh, drinking coffee all day long, but it's like, well, this is okay for me, but that's not okay for you. And that's mm -hmm. when we have to be really careful because it's, it's just based on people's perception and idea. And like you said, it's a medical procedure. Yeah. It's no different than anything different. And someone's going to choose something different if they, if it suits what they want. So, right. so what it, so what is your suggestion that if, if people if people are finding that others are disqualifying them or after listening to this conversation, you realize that you are disqualifying your own story, what can we do to combat that? What, what can we do to, to, to qualify our story again for ourselves and for the world? Well, I think one thing that is important is to, I, I'm a big fan of journaling and writing things down. And it kind of comes back to like you were talking about analysis and data you know, take notes about everything that you've done 
and and give yourself credit for all of the all the hard work that goes into leading up to something and then having the surgery and afterwards because just to say oh i had this one little event happen and that miraculously changed my life that that's unrealistic you know that's it's not like you go get a nose job and you wake up the next day and it's done it's it's something that requires so much follow up and and the part that i don't you know i know you guys talk about it but it's that whole mental piece that you have to work through mm-hmm. and so in order to really give yourself credit this is something i tell people when we're talking about even just um you know, with your career, I always think it's important to just keep a log of everything that you're doing. And that way, when, when your boss comes back at the end of the year to review you and he says, oh, what accomplishments have you had this year? And you're like, oh, you start trying to scramble and write things down. You really remember things from the last couple of months, but you forget about stuff from earlier in the year. And if you were writing it down all along, you'd be able to just look back and go, oh, you know what? I sold this. I found a better process for this. I cleaned up this and I, I covered for somebody for a couple months here. And that way you get credit for all of that stuff. But in our personal lives, we need to give ourselves credit. So when we do that review and we look at our own work, we can say, well, how have you been doing this year? You know, it's time for your performance review. And so that you don't discount it, you actually say, okay, well, you know what? I started here. I worked through this. I had a bad month mentally, horrifically, what I could barely get through. And I stayed alive through the whole thing and didn't get too far off track. That's a big accomplishment. Even if we get off track, coming back on to the plan is a huge accomplishment by itself. So, you know, don't beat yourself up over those things. Just keep track of everything that you've done. I love it. That's, it's powerful advice because we, yeah, if we go a couple days without writing down the good things that we've actually done, we're going to forget them, right? Because we're just, a lot of us are wired to focus on the bad before we focus on the good. So if we force ourselves to focus on the good and, and record those those things that, that we're doing well, those little non-scale victories, right? Those little like, oh yeah, I, I did good. We're, we're going to forget them. And we can use that to help us justify, you know, our decisions and to have conversations with people and just to not get not get down on ourselves when things get get difficult because they're going to get hard. Things are, yeah, we're, we're going to yeah. run out of gas. <laughs> well, self-discrediting is, is completely a thing because I, I truly believe that I had the surgery two years later than I would have originally had the surgery because I told myself not only can I lose the weight myself, but that I wouldn't be happy with any weight loss that wasn't naturally had. Like I fooled myself into thinking that I wouldn't be happy with losing 167 pounds because it was done through surgery and that I was, uh, that I would always second guess my, you know, my victory in the whole thing, because I felt like I would have felt like I took the easy way out or I cheated. And coming now that I've, you know, that I've hit this morning, I hit another new low of 302 after I've been stuck at 304 for like almost a month. So Mm -hmm those types of things just completely obliterate any of the self-doubt that I had before, because as I've done this and as I've gone through and not only been able to, you know, help other people that are struggling with the same situation that I know that I myself was in, but watching other people hit their victories and, you know, coming along for the journey that, you know, that, that April and I have both been on, it's just, I'm so far removed from that mindset. And I, and I struggle with myself 
not being upset with myself that I that I let that creep in enough to to hold off my decision for two years because I could have been probably at my goal and who knows been living the healthy life for almost a year now just two years sooner and I would have got back those other couple of years but it's also one of the things that April and I talk about at length too would I have been as successful at that point in time as I've been as successful this because I knew at this point in time when I had the surgery it was time yeah that definitely there is a a a point where you just never know how committed you would have been or if you would have been in the right mindset to make it happen. And I, I really try not to live with a lot of regrets. I have questions and I wonder, it's like, oh, should I done this? Could I try that? But I try not to live in that space because it all happens for a reason and at the time that it should. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the words you talked about getting to 304 and sitting there for a month and then getting to that new level and and I'm one of the things that I think is the, the, the worst miss we tell people is that you get this momentum and then that's just going to build and grow and that, you know, don't ever stop because as soon as that moment, you know, you got the momentum going and then what happens is at some point you have to take a break mm-hmm. and then you stop and then we feel like, well, why would I ever go again? Which if, if you ever applied that to anything else in life, if you were driving to Thanksgiving at grandma's house and you got to a stop sign and you stopped, you wouldn't call grandma and say, well, I was on my way. I got three miles down the road, but I stopped. You know, you would yeah. keep going again. And then you would get to the party. I mean, you would just, I mean, you wouldn't just sit there and watch all your friends and family pass you by and go to grandma's without you. Yeah. But the thing is, we, we think when we stop that we're going all the way back to the beginning and we're not, you know, we're still three miles down the road and we pick up where we left off and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, give yourself a break and say, you know what, that happened or whatever either things slowed down or, you know, especially with, with, with weight loss, you know, you never know the, the chemistry of your body and all that kind of stuff. There's so many things at play that just are Mm -hmm. happening. And that's why it's good to have all these multiple levels of success. But, but, you know, it's like, just, it's not, don't stop. It's just, don't stop going again. Just always keep going a little bit more. Well, and that always reminds me that that car, the car metaphor is perfect, right? Because as you were saying, as you were talking about that, I was like, well, yeah, I can't drive from here to California on one tank of gas. I have to stop and I have to refuel. So, I mean, everything in this world requires a moment of refueling, even a, even a hydrogen bomb, even nuclear fission eventually burns itself out. Right. Mm -hmm. And unless you, you stop for fuel, you're, you are just not going to make it. So it's one thing to stop refuel, but you always have to keep your journey, uh, uh, you know, ahead of you. Uh, a couple summers ago, we, uh, my parents have a big boat and we go up to Alaska with them often. And in fact, for our honeymoon, we started in Kirkland, Washington and we ended in Sitka, Alaska. That, that was a six wow. week or seven week journey, right? And it was awesome. But the best piece of like captaining advice that came from my dad and and that I have to apply to my to my life is that, you know, when when you're driving a, a big boat like this, right, you're looking at eight screens in front of you and all these dials, right, and you're constantly, you're you're just kind of doing this circular thing, right. But if I was always looking at the screens in front of me, I would hit something, because there's deadheads, there's logs that are floating in the water, and those logs do not appear on any of these screens. So it's one thing to be checking my data points along the way, but if I am taking my eyes off of what's in front of me, I'm gonna hit something and it's gonna sink me, right? Or it's gonna derail my progress. 
So, you know, to, to make sure that I'm always moving on the journey, I need to be eyes ahead and then always checking my peripheral. But what my dad also said, which I was like, oh my God, I would have never thought about that. He's like, you know, when you turn around to look behind you, right, your hand is always on the wheel. But as you turn, so does your hand, which means that now you've taken your ship off course. And he said, and if you keep looking back, guess what? That ship's going to eventually go 180 degrees and you're going to be going backwards again. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. And he's like, right? I mean, you just, you know... Try, try turning, and I'm just doing this, yeah. right? Try turning this way without moving your hand. He's like, it just doesn't happen. So if you're going to turn backwards, you need to take your hand off the wheel and you need to look back, but then you need to come right back here with both hands because I can't have you deviating too far from course because you're going to hit something, right? right? And I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> right? And in that moment, it was like, oh, my God, it's okay to look back, right? It's okay to know, like, okay, am I, how much room do I have? Or did I suck something up at the prop? Or, you know, right. just what's behind me? Okay. But I have to very quickly snap forward and, and focus on here. Because if I keep looking backwards, I'm going backwards. And I don't want to go there. I purposely left that shore because it was <laughs> right. so horrible. So why am I, why am I allowing myself to be, you know, drawn that way? So, yeah. Uh, long deviation to, to really I just love that story though right it, it's so important because again th this ship is not on autopilot right there's some things and that's why habits and routines are so important we we can we can automate some things that that we know we need to do right and by automating things it's just like driving that boat okay yeah my fuel gauge is automated my you know my rudder can be automated i i can i can set a course with gps i can i can you know set the throttle and not have to touch it again but I still have to be checking in on those dials to make sure that those things are doing what I need them to do. Because if all of a sudden my autopilot goes off, I could be going to China for all I know, right? But if I'm not, if I'm not looking at these things along the way, and, and I think that's, you know, when, when we're running on E, we have to acknowledge that I need to stop for fuel, right? Or I need to take a break, or my eyes are tired, or right, w whatever the situation is, it's okay to, to, to pull off and take that break but we need to get right back on that road and we need to continue in that, in that same direction towards you know, our, our, our end destination, towards that goal. And it's not easy, but it can be done. Yeah, I, I was working with a client the other day and he was beating himself up over not having done anything for a couple of days towards his goals. Mm -hmm. And I had to remind him of that list of, you know, here's all the things that you've done. And kind of the, the realization I was working him towards is, you know, it's okay to have some downtime, but we need to recognize the downtime as part of the progress. It's not, mm -hmm. well, I drove from here to Portland and then I had to stop overnight and sleep. It's, you know what, you have to sleep. And so you need to build that time in and know you're gonna have those downtimes and you're gonna get to E. Mm -hmm. And with some practice, you can get to a point where you realize it ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I, I've had days where I sit here and I, I used to, I'd be laying in bed with my head on the pillow, the cover's kind of up over me, and I'm just laying there thinking about all the things I need to do that day and my goals for the week and beating myself up over the fact that I'm still laying in bed and now it's half an hour later or an hour later, and I'm thinking, why am I not moving? I have this huge list of stuff, but I've changed. I've reframed the way I think about it because now I, I call that my cocooning time. If, you know, if you look at a caterpillar, they're out there, they're eating as much as they can, and they're just living life. 
and pretty soon they stop and they just hibernate from the world. And sometimes my cocooning might be an hour or two. Sometimes it might be like a week of Netflix, but it's part of the process of being prepared to go back out with new energy. And when that caterpillar comes out of that cocoon, it can fly and it's beautiful. And we're like, wow, mm -hmm. where did you come from? Mm -hmm. But if we don't recognize the downtime as an integral part of that process, you never get to the butterfly. Nope. And, and I always, uh, I've had to get good at this. I've had to recognize that rest is, rest is normal, rest is needed, rest is appropriate. Uh, and if I need a day or two, I'm going to take a day or two and I'm not going to beat myself up over, uh, you know, I, I, I struggle with movement. I know I need to do it, but I, you know, I, I, I fall into these moments of where I lack motivation. And, and the deal I've made with myself is, okay, I can give myself a day or two. But if I go three days and I'm not finding the motivation to do what I know I need to do at a, live at a healthy weight, then I need to ask myself, what am I really avoiding? It's not my bike. What am I avoiding, right? Or what, what am I trying to escape from? What do I not want to deal with? And by asking myself that question, I can usually get to the root of it. And then I can make a plan or I can take action to get out of that funk or out of that feeling. Because it's not my Peloton bike. I love that. It's something else, right? So if I can focus on that something else, I can acknowledge it, deal with it, take an action. And that always moves me out of this place where I'm like, oh God, I'm just on E, right? That's asking myself that question. That is, the, that is me filling up my tank. That is where I'm putting the fuel in. That's what gets me back to E so that I can get back on the road and continue to move forward. Yeah, and one thing that I have found to be very freeing is when I'm writing out my to-do list for the week, I will actually write on certain days. I will write rest and recharge. And that will be a oh. two hour block, a four hour block. Sometimes it's a whole day, but that way I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do in that moment. And you're just building it in, right? So it's not like you're just going to burn your, you, so you're, you're purposely saying, oh, even though I've got, you know, th uh, a third of a tank left, I'm going to stop here and I'm going to mm -hmm. refill. So you're, you're almost like you're, you're building that in so that you never get all the way to E. Right. Well, and yeah. And, and the other thing is it gives you permission to have that down day. So instead yeah. of saying, oh, I was supposed to do all these things, but I didn't do anything. It's like, no, I needed to rest. And that mm -hmm. was okay because that was necessary. And so sometimes I, I try to put it on the, on the list as much as I can. Sometimes I forget, but then I will write it in afterwards. I was like, today was a rest and recharge day. And that gets rid of that guilt of not having done stuff. But I, and I think that's important too. Like you were saying to have that set a time limit so it's not you know three right. weeks unless it's supposed well, to be a vacation time and it's also where we go back to where social media has made us believe that you know it's really not as okay to take those breaks because so and so may be on the same journey i am and it looks like she's killing it every single day or they're doing way great because they don't ever take you know recharge days and they don't need that well you know one of the one of the best things that people need to realize about social media is is those people only show you what they want you to see. Right. And as long as, as now that April and I know that there are programs out there that you can schedule postings, <laughs> there's mm -hmm. a lot of those people that are taking plenty of downtime and down days. They just don't let you see it because they've scheduled posts to come out like they're the ones putting it up, like that's normal. And that's perfectly fine. But don't ever let somebody else's situation bleed onto your situation and make you think it's not okay when your body's telling you or your mind may be telling you that it's time to take a break take mm -hmm. that break there is no shame in taking that break 
because I promise you, you're going to come back a better version of you. And that may be all you need to get to that point. Yeah, I, I remember my, you just reminded me of a quote my granddad used to always say, you know, he'd doze off all the time. He'd, he'd like, he'd wake up and he'd be like, well, I just feel like my body knows what it needs. And if it says I need a nap, I'm not going to argue with it. <laughs> yes. I'm like, yes, granddad, but the light's green. So can we not sleep while you're <laughs> <laughs> Yes. That used to be my favorite pastime before I, I realized I had sleep apnea before I got a CPAP machine. I was a serial red light napper, boy. I doze <laughs> off my stuff. Once my son got old enough to drive, luckily I had my CPAP and everything was cool because if I lost my little nudger to tell me it was time to go, I would have gotten honked out all the time. Because he'd just let me, he'd just sit there, bless his heart, he'd just sit there and let me nap. And he'd just bump my shoulder and it was time to go and I'd just wake up and drive. Just like, all right, we're going. Like, all, all right, right, here we go. It's go time. Oh my goodness. Oh, Andy, we cannot thank you enough for joining us today. We hammered through some huge topics, uh, but nuggets of gold sprinkled throughout that entire thing. I think we could, I think we could make a gold bar based on all of the nuggets that we came up with. And I think for me, that biggest takeaway was so simple, but it's like, duh, schedule in your rest and relax, right? Like, don't feel guilty about taking it, schedule it in. That's, that's absolutely huge for me. Uh, kind of when, when we end our show, we love to give our guests just kind of like the, the final word or the floor. So is there anything that you feel went unsaid that you would like to say, or is there a quote, or is there a piece of advice that, that you really want to make sure you leave our, our listeners with? You know, I think it would be know that, that you're, you're okay the way you are. You're in your heart and in your soul, you're going the direction you want to do. And and be okay with the choices you're making in your life. You don't have to explain them to people, just, just live that life and follow what feels good and feels right because that's what's gonna get you to the life that you wanna live. And you know, that, that's like, I, I always say own your awkward, but that, it in a nutshell is basically just don't let something that you self-conscious about hold back from living your best life. We love that advice and we, are very excited to take that implement it in our own because we're all awkward and that's what makes us awesome. <laughs> all right, you guys, if you would love to follow Andy on his journey and his personal professional journey, we recommend that you do. Uh, I am uh, about halfway through his newest book. Oh, I was going to bring it down with me and it's upstairs because I was reading it last night. It's amazing. It you got it? Ah, thank you. Yes. Oh, dude, it is on your awkward awesome. life changer. Uh, yeah, well, thank you. De yeah, definitely, definitely worth picking up a copy of that. You can follow Andy on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Awkward Career. Uh, his website is also awkward or awesome. It's awkward, it's awesome. But it's www.awkwardcareer.com. So we highly recommend that, that you give Andy a follow. And if you are looking for some coaching or some inspiration, you can, of course, reach out to him in a professional capacity. And he would love, 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 love to help you. Uh, so, Andy, like I said, we just can't thank you enough for joining us today. We know your time is valuable. And we very much appreciate you giving some of it to, some of it to us and to this bariatric community because we are going to be better because of you. So thank you for that, sir. <laughs> I appreciate it. I have learned so much today as well. I, I feel like it's a great conversation. I'm going to step into the world in a better light with the rest of my day. So thank you. Absolutely. Jason, my friend, you want to take us out? 
Yes, ma'am. Much like April said, Andy, we can't thank you enough. We appreciate it. All your all your wisdom is invaluable, and we appreciate that. To our lovely East to West community, we can't thank you guys enough for all the support that you have given us up to this point. You've got us to where we are today. We're able to help you because of your support. And we want to keep doing so because helping you guys helps us. So we've learned as much from you guys as you've learned from us. We thank you just the same. So just remember that you've got this, we've got you, and we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.